Welcome to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston. This is the 12th and final episode in the current season and it comes to you from the hotspot of cycle advocacy and campaigning at the minute in London, of course, by which I mean Blackfriars Bridge. And I'm standing here with two men who have been at the heart of the campaign to make Blackfriars Bridge a much more friendly place for cycling than it is at the minute or that it will become if Transport for London, the governing authority for the roads in London, gets their way. I'm here with Mark Ames, who you'll have heard on the show earlier this year talking about bike blogging. Welcome to the show, Mark. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. And also with Charlie Lloyd, who's the campaigns officer of the London Cycling Campaign. Welcome back to the show also, Charlie, because you've also been on before. Yeah, great to be here. So who wants to um, summarise in a nutshell the Blackfriars Bridge issue? I think I'm going to nominate Mark because you've been up on the television, um, uh, ITV and BBC, a number of times in the last week, surrounded by hundreds of cyclists all egging you on to fight the man. Tell us why, why Blackfriars matters. What is the Battle of Blackfriars? It's a, a long and winding story, but in a nutshell, um, Transport for London want to make some quite significant changes to the layout of the road here. Um, and when they announced that they wanted to do that, they did it very quietly and gave us a few days to sort of consult on it. And when we looked at the plans, we realised they essentially wanted to build an urban motorway on a bridge uh, upon which cyclists are actually the majority at peak times. Um, their original plans were to completely scrap any bike lanes, any bike provision at the north end of the bridge. Uh, we managed to get them to pipe down on that. But they still want to increase the speed from 20 miles an hour as it is at present to 30, build substandard cycle lanes which are actually narrower than their own safety audit recommends and uh, put in an extra uh, lane of traffic each way. So in the future all those thousands of cyclists who, who came as you said on Friday to make their voices heard will be squeezed right in in horrible, uncomfortable 1960 style road plans. So this was an issue which was first raised, I think, first came to my attention through the blogs, various blogs, your blog, a handful of other ones. Really, I think it hit the, the big time with a motion in the London Assembly, which we'll come to in a minute, but really last weekend's demo on Death Bridge, as the Evening Standards headline put it. Charlie, the LCC, the London Cycling Campaign, led the demo. Why did you think that this was an important thing for you to rally around? Well, I think this issue has really lit a fuse, which is going to hopefully explode the whole attitude that Transport for London has to providing for cyclists and pedestrians in London, in central London in particular. The trouble here began in, in 2004 when two cyclists were killed. A friend of mine was killed just over here. And a huge outcry happened then. Transport for London examined their cycling procedures, they saw that they were lacking, they changed their procedures for a short while, they promised London Cycling Campaign that when they redeveloped the station they would involve cyclists, they would consult with us, they'd make it more cycle friendly. In the changes with Transport for London that promise was just lost, No one, they forgot all about it. When we saw the plans in February and we, we gave them to some of the bloggers, we were just appalled that they had done nothing, they had made it actually much worse than it was before, much worse than it is now with the roadworks and, and station works there. They'd you know, thrown away every idea they had. So it has really set a, an explosion off amongst cyclists. And it's significant for all roads in London where this kind of motorway style 
smoothing the traffic flow where they actually mean providing for more motor traffic at the expense of pedestrians and cyclists, that policy has been exposed as a complete farce. Because Transport for London is actually located not a few hundred yards down the road here at the Palestra building, which is on Blackfriars Road. So, you know, it's right on their doorstep. What is this smoothing traffic flow? This is what a lot of people are talking about, that they've got this model down there in the Palestra building that they plug any change to the road layout that cyclists or pedestrians might ask for to make for a more civilised city. And if it does anything to uh, hold back or hinder motorised private vehicles, they say, no, sorry, our priority is smoothing traffic flow. Is this something that they've always been obsessed about or is it something that has come with the new mayor, Boris Johnson? I I think it it became before the current mayor. We can't put our finger on when it changed. At the beginning of this process, they claimed, oh, we couldn't do anything because the Traffic Management Act says that they must provide for traffic. Actually, I don't think they'd read the Traffic Management Act. The Traffic Management Act says that they should prioritise safety, that they have to consider pedestrians, they have to consider cyclists. They hadn't done this here, so that's been exposed. I think smoothing the traffic flow sounds nice, but when you look at it, actually what they're doing, if they make it a bit easier for cars, all you get is more cars or more taxis. You know, if they make it easier for buses and cyclists, the traffic system is much more efficient. So they're not really taking a dynamic view of traffic and recognising that if they change the facts on the ground, then the ways in which people travel around the city will change themselves. That They're just saying, well, no, only 6% of the people who use this bridge are cyclists, therefore we don't need to bother with them. That's, that's absolutely right, Jack. I mean, they, they talk about smoothing the traffic flow as, as if it's about everyone, but actually it's just a very thin veneer for promoting motorised traffic in a very old-fashioned, very outdated way. If you choose a mode of transport and invite it and make conditions that are inviting for that mode of transport, well, then, of course, that mode of transport is going to come in and fill the vacuum. So do you think this bridge is off-putting to cyclists? And do you think there are people who would want to cycle over here but just don't because it feels too fast and too furious. Absolutely. As I mentioned to the BBC when I was talking with them last week, um, you know, there's an awful lot of people in this city who would like to ride a bike. They're sick of expensive train fares. They're sick of sitting in their cars. But they're afraid, not of the actual process of riding a bicycle. We can all do that, mostly. But of riding in the conditions that are being created. Or, if they don't want to ride, they'd like to walk. And, you know, the argument that uh, the changes which are being made at the north end of the bridge are for the benefit of all the many thousands of pedestrians who use trains to get to the new Blackfriars station... That's also spurious because, you know, pedestrians, and you know, we're all pedestrians at some point, don't benefit from increased exposure to road risk and road danger uh, and from higher speed limits and, you know, wider, wider roads. It's, it's just a farcical argument. So last Friday, the LCC called this demo. How many people turned out for it, Charlie? Mark's saying thousands. Uh, we, we think, possibly not thousands, but, you know, um, between 600 and 1,000. I mean... When these uh, demonstration here five or six years ago in memory of Vicky McCurry who was killed, there were 1,500 cyclists here. On Thursday, the day before the demonstration, I came here in the morning and counted cyclists for just one hour in the peak hour and I counted 1,200 cyclists going across northbound and almost 400 southbound. So you know, our flash ride was a brilliant success but that just represents what happens every day for one hour in the morning over a thousand cyclists, almost fifteen hundred cyclists, cross this bridge. You know, it's it's happening every day. If they'd started planning for this 
two, three years ago, the solution would be easy. Now they're stuck. They have to open the station. They're going to have 24,000 pedestrians. They're going to have the three or 4,000 cyclists in the rush hour, and you know, it's not going to work. So you know, around that time, we won't have to de demonstrate. It'll be self-evident that what they've done is not working. So if we take a step back from the demo and start talking a little bit about the politics of this, the London Assembly has responded to the outrage amongst bloggers, amongst ordinary cyclists, amongst the LCC, amongst the Living Streets uh, group who represent pedestrians. And they passed a motion saying Transport for London needs to think again about their plans for this. We don't think this is a, a, a great plan. We don't think this is a bridge that's very inviting to use your phrase mark for cyclists go away and do better is that about the size of it yeah absolutely um and the unique thing being that this wasn't just you know labor giving the tories a kicking or or the greens talking about their agenda this was all of the parties in the london assembly all signing the same motion which you know if you ever watch the london assembly is a pretty rare occurrence you know all of them saying that transport for london not should do better but absolutely needs to do better uh, and the reason we were here on friday is because they started their building works it looks like they're going ahead anyway because also the mayor has said that he thinks that this needs to be rethought and that black prize needs to be reworked for cyclists and pedestrians hasn't he yes and, and um we're glad that he said it and he's perhaps regretting that he said it because he his engineers haven't been listening to him and um you know he hasn't been listening to the assembly you know the the system is breaking down to whom is transport for london accountable well that's a very good question uh we know that the London Assembly has no real power. They can advise, they can admonish in this case. But in terms of Transport for London, the Mayor is the Chairman of, the, of Transport for London. But you know, the decisions at this level are being made by engineers or planners who are working to an agenda which isn't the Mayor's agenda. And are you feeling that they're listening at all or really just ploughing straight ahead? I think with the help of the publicity that Mark and the bloggers and the flash rides and you and everyone is making, they're beginning to listen because people are talking about other locations, the thousands of other junctions across London, where the same kind of principles to say, oh, we can't do something for cyclists, we can't do something for pedestrians because of maintaining traffic flows. That myth that traffic flows is all important is being exploded all across London. So there's a great big head of steam behind this campaign. Transport for London appears to be going ahead anyway. What next for the campaign? That's a very good question. I mean, you know, I'm not a political activist. I don't want to find myself chaining myself to JCBs on Blackfriars Bridge. And, and the whole point, of course, is that neither should I have to. You know, the people who run our city, who, who, who have such a stranglehold on our very quality of life, absolutely should be accountable. So maybe that's something that's worth exploring. But as Charlie mentioned, this is just one junction, one junction in the entire city of London that thousands of people have been writing letters, stamping their feet, coming out on demonstrations about. Well, I'd really really like to see a positive resolution here but it certainly doesn't stop here you know there's 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 horrible urban spaces like parliament square there's the elephant and castle all of these horrible 60s style places which you know have absolutely no place in the 21st century global city that was mark ames from ibike london and charlie lloyd of the london cycling campaign now i've wandered over to the north side of the bridge to get a view of the works of the station and i'm joined by andrew boff the conservative member of the London Assembly and also the Mayor's cycling ambassador. You've come here 
on your bike today, uh, Andrew, but you've said that you wouldn't ride over this bridge if this was on your daily commute? Uh, absolutely not. I think at the moment it's really dangerous. Um, and if it were on my commute, it's not, I tend to use Tower Bridge, then uh, quite frankly, I'd use somewhere else. What do you think in particular is bad about this? We're looking at it right now. I think, I think it's the complexity of the junction. For those people that know it, they know certainly on the north side that we're not, not by any means saying that the south side is safe because I think the south side's just uh, just as bad. But if you look at the north side, there's a number of roads all converging at the same place at the top of the bridge. My particular concern is it makes it difficult, especially for cyclists, to know where to go next, um, especially on those right turns. And when we've had meetings with uh, various uh, representatives of the cycling uh, lobby, I suppose you could say. They've indicated to us that it's, it is the turns at the top that are the most important issue about this. It's not that great totem of so much that great totem of 20, 30 mile per hour, which I think is a distraction. Uh, I think it really is about the safety of cyclists and ensuring that they've got a, a safe route in which to go through. I think it's even with the complexity of the bridge, I think it's possible to improve on what we've got at the moment. On the 20 miles an hour, I guess there are some people who would say that if the traffic is moving at a less high speed, it's easier to merge with other kinds of motor vehicular traffic if you're on a bike. Whereas if everyone's streaming past at, at 30, it's much harder to inch out your way out into that lane to make that right turn. Absolutely. So that, it is the junctions that matter. It's, not, it's probably not. I, I, and remember, I'm just an assembly member. I'm just a bloke who happened to get elected, all right? So I'm no expert on this. And I think people too much think that we politicians are the font of all wisdom. Well, we ain't. We, what we go on is the technical data that comes from TfL. And our criticism, certainly from our group, and I think other members of the, other groups on the London Assembly as well, is the opaqueness of TfL when it come, when they come to make a decision. And it may be that their decisions are right, but it's very difficult to stack it up when we can't see the technical data. And I think there's a little bit of uh, professional selfishness going on there, that they think, why should the public know we've been trained to do these traffic schemes? You know, it's, it's our specialism. But I do think that they need to let us know a bit more. But, I mean, if you... If you look, it's, it's not so much the main drag of the bridge that's the problem, I don't think. It is the corners. It is where people are turning, people are deviating from a straight line that is the problem. Now, and that's what makes Blackfriars even more challenging because there's so many different ways to deviate from that, that straight line at either end of the bridge. And I think that's what we need to look at. And, and we're having a meeting with, uh, with TfL, who are doing a presentation, who have, to be fair to them, got the message. They do know that the Assembly's more than a little concerned about the way in which these, this consultation took place and the, the, final, uh, the final configuration of the scheme. We're meeting with them next week. So they can let us know what the actual data is, why they've taken the decisions they've taken. I think there's a lot of feeling in the people who've been blogging about this, who've been campaigning about this, that TfL has got this smoothing traffic flow agenda, which basically means anything that might in any way detract from giving space to private motor vehicles is a no-no. I've tested them on this because I've said, what do you mean by traffic? Tell me what traffic means. And clearly traffic is not just motor vehicles. It also concerns uh, cyclists as well. Uh, traffic is not just motor vehicles. And there is common sense. There is sense in for smoothing traffic flow. The biggest pollutant is idling traffic. If you do something that makes that traffic congested, then you're contributing to pollution in, in the city. And we already know we've got a problem with air quality in London. So we don't want to go and taking actions that's actually going to uh, make that worse. So 
that's one of the things they've got to take into consideration. They've got to take consideration the egress of the, of the pedestrians who are pouring out of that station. We've got to take into account the safety of cyclists to ensure that they've got a safe route um, north and south over the over the bridge. And we've got to look at traffic flow as well because, the, you know, the reason we're able to pay for things like the Blackbrass development and, and improvements is because we are in an extremely wealthy country in an ext- and the wealthiest part of that wealthy country. And the reason we're wealthy is because, the econ- because of the economy. And if we start doing taking steps that damage the economy of London, then we're shooting ourselves in the foot. There will be no more future improvements if we make this place poorer as a result of decisions about traffic. It's a very simplistic argument, and I'm not saying that's the only thing we take into consideration, but it's all those factors have to feed in to the, the, the dog's breakfast that you actually end up with as a scheme, because ultimately it will be. There will be compromises on all those issues. And as to the 20, 30 mile an hour limit, I'm quite agnostic. As a cyclist, I prefer 20 miles per hour. I've said so. You know, I mean, I mean personally, I think 20 miles per hour is best. But it's it's a, become a bit of a totem. I mean, I've cycled on roads that are 30 miles an hour and I haven't had a problem. If you look at the speed limit in Copenhagen, that you know, great nirvana of cyclists, the speed limit there's 31 and a half. It's 50 kilometres an hour. So you can be done, and we shouldn't just say that the only contribution to, uh, that we're going to make to cycling safety is reducing the speed limit down to 20 miles per hour. Actually... A lot of those accidents that take place, take place, especially the awful ones with regard to uh, heavy goods vehicles, take place at much lower speeds than that. I think that emphasis on looking at the scheme afresh that comes through in the amendment that you made to Jenny Jones's motion was, has been very well received across the board and you managed to get a unanimous vote on that in the London Assembly. Was that difficult? Yes, it was. On both sides, everybody sees a lobby against them on both sides of the argument. It's either the cyclists seeing that this is all about getting cars forced through, as many cars as possible, and you know selling out to the car lobby, or it's the people who are saying, actually, we've got all these uh, uh, well-connected, vocal cyclists who would shut down every single road and stop every single car from going anywhere. And, and everyone sees a lobby against them. The motion was a compromise. The motion was a dog's dinner, and... and, and you know, Jenny recognises that, I recognise that. But we needed to get that feeling of consensus that there was, that TfL need to be more open about how they've come to these decisions, that this is fundamentally a technical appraisal, but we don't want that taken without us actually being able to see why they've taken the decisions. I hope that that assembly motion will... Well, it has succeeded in concentrating the minds of TfL and bringing them on, on uh, on board a few more people... Well, bringing them on board and saying, look, TfL need to explain to us why. And if, in the end, we disagree with some of their judgments, that's fine. As politicians, we will. There's always two sides of an argument. But we need that data out in the open. So you have expressed your opinion as the London Assembly. The Mayor, Boris Johnson, has said that he thinks the whole thing needs a rethink. TfL is moving ahead, it seems, and admittedly, as you've said, they're going to have some meetings with you. There is a question here, and the great political science question is, who governs? What is your view on that? Because I think we're used to the idea of, say, national government. You've got your civil servants and you've got your cabinets, and basically the civil servants do what the cabinet ministers say, and and the cabinet government is final. In London, it seems like TfL is a little bit, you know, a law unto itself. Is that fair? Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely right. I think uh, TfL is still operating as it always did under the previous mayor. I don't think there's any difference between TfL now and TfL under the previous mayor. I think it's too big. I think it should be broken up. I think it needs to be more accountable. I think it's doing too much. It's duplicating a lot of effort that's taking part in the boroughs. And as to the question of uh, political government, well, well, for me, it's like it's an issue like shooting fish in a barrel. I wouldn't have a mayoralty. You know, I'd abolish it tomorrow. I'd get rid of the London Assembly. It's it's uh, it's a, it's a dreadful way to run a very complex city. But don't you think? the kind of expression that you've been able to make on behalf of the people who elected you and also the kind of expression that the mayor has made on the behalf of the people who have elected him to do a job. An electoral system where there are elected responsive politicians at the top of it oh, we need elected responsive are politicians. able to no. keep the technocrats you no. know, away from their oh. models and oh, actually sorry. get them to do stuff for people. Don't, don't, I don't say I leave it with a vacuum. I mean, I absolutely not. You need, but, but the reason I'm uh, critical of the current system is because of that lack of accountability. I mean, we've done the maximum that the London Assembly can do. The only power we have over the mayor is to reject the mayor's budget once a year. That's it. That's all we've got. Um, I actually think in a, there should be a system much more where the scrutiny, which is what our job is, takes place at the point of decision. And that those people who are scrutinising should be making that decision, who should be accountable to the electorate. I mean, my job is to whine for London. That is, that's what I'm elected for. I mean, it's a ridiculous system. And I do, I do think that we need to... Well, I don't think we will, but I do think we do need to look at this, this, this system of government. The whole principle of a mayoralty, which is new uh, in uh, British constitutional terms, to give to give absolute authority to an individual without any checks or balances, save once a year. I think it's a dreadful system. TfL needs to be accountable. It needs to be accountable to a body that can say no, but we can't say no. Is, that, is not that the role of the mayor? Is the mayor's chair of TfL can tell them what to do? Well, my criticism of the mayoralty is that, is that it, certainly in something like as uh, large as London, is it's actually too complex. There are too many issues. The mayor is in charge of transport in all its forms, the policing of the city. Uh, he's now in charge of allocation for housing funds. He's in charge of planning. These are an enormous responsibilities for a, for a city that has a higher population than most members of the United Nations. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that we put this on the responsibility of one person. Presidents don't have this much authority. They're accountable. They can be stopped doing what they're doing. And in this system, you can't do it. I think mayors, without doubt, uh, Boris, the advances that have taken place under Boris with regard to the cycling agenda, I mean, they're unquestionable. They, 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 you, know, you can't question them. They're, there's been a huge increase in the amount of attention played, not just to uh, increasing the amount of cycling taking place in London, but also improving the safety of cyclists in London. And, and, and that, he's, he's got a very proud record on that. And it's the fact that we're spending so much time on this issue... I think is is because actually uh, some people expected more of Boris. Perhaps cyclists expected him to um, stop all the traffic going over Blackfriars Bridge. That's not going to happen. I wouldn't support uh, a measure to, to make this a cycling-only bridge. It's ridiculous. I know they're not saying it, but if you look in the background of the arguments, every single argument that some of the some of the lobbyists put, it's, it's actually geared towards we don't want cars on here at all. Well, that's not something I can subscribe to, you know. We want to make this the safest environment for all users of the bridge. 
And cyclists and pedestrians being the most vulnerable, we have to pay particular attention to the safety of cyclists and pedestrians. But that, that doesn't mean we have a hierarchy, that doesn't mean we have, um, that we have a car ban or anything restriction on cars. What we say is that those, that is the way in which Londoners have chosen to get to work. And we've got our job is to make them safe in doing that. I think on that very point, there are a lot of people who would ride their bikes to work and that would have a lot of benefits in terms of clean air, less yes, congestion, absolutely. you know, less cost on the health service and all of that. Less sick time for employers, yeah. which would keep the economy going because people would be, you know, lose a bit of weight, cardiovascular yeah. improvement and all the rest of it. However, they don't feel that it's safe. And so the task of people like you and TfL is to make our city not just work for the people who are already cycling, no, no, but no. to invite those people who aren't cycling to Your say, partner. well, actually, this could be a good thing for me to do. And there were benefits of that would be felt not just by those people, but by the city at large. I, I w- spoke to a meeting of the LCC and I was really surprised that I wasn't hung, drawn and quartered because I said, I said to them there, I said, you do realise that the changes that we're doing, that the mayor is doing with regard to cycling have nothing to do with you at all. They're nothing to do with the people who are already cycling, apart from making it safer. They're about building an, uh, a constituency of people who not only realise, like I have for years, I, I, look, I don't cycle to save the planet or my health. I cycle because it's the easiest way to get into work. I think that's the sales pitch that you've got to do to people. Don't try and appeal to their wider sense of social good or anything like that, because they'll do it for a week and give up. What you do is actually make it make people people realise that this is the best way to get into work, as so many thousands of people are now starting to realise. You're absolutely right. The decision about whether or not, for instance, on a rainy day, I'm a fair-weather cyclist. If it's peeing down with rain, I take the bus. I'm not a masochist, you know. Um, but it's that decision when you get to that front door and I, you know my front door the bike's there the front door's there and I have to come to a split decision am I going to go by bike or am I going to fill up some space on the road with a, in, a, in a bus and we've got to make that decision easier for people to say we're going to choose the bike and it's in the interest of motorists for people to choose to use the bike as I always say to fairly uncompromising pro-car users I say you know, it's worth you putting your hand in your pocket to pay for more cycling facilities because every single one of, every single person in front of you in the queue when you're, you know, in, when you're in a congested road, every single person in front of you that decides actually next morning I'm going to cycle into work is one, it's, it's an easier uh, journey for you because there's going to be fewer people on the roads and you can drive because there's some people will never cycle you know that I mean you, you know we're, we're fooling ourselves if everybody is going to cycle and everybody's going to get out of the car they're not some people like that womb-like security of their car and we're never going to change it but we've got to make it easier for those people who are on the cusp of taking that decision safety is the primary reason that the cycle highways that the mayor has put in is a uh, is a prime example of making it safer they're not perfect don't let me try and you know i'm not selling that it's being perfect but it's an incremental move forward in making it safer for uh, cyclists to get into work and there's one other thing as well 
the real problems of London, we're a bit zone one obsessed occasionally. The real problems with regard to cycling in London are not so much in inner London, where a lot of people cycle already. I live in Hackney. You know, virtually everybody cycles in Hackney. I mean, there's very few car users. It's out there in the suburbs where there isn't a constituency of cyclists who are lobbying for better facilities. In order for the suburbs to become more cycle-friendly, you need this lobbying constituency of people out there saying, I want to be able to cycle from... You know, Romford to, to Upminster. I, I want to make it easier to cycle there. I want to be able to cycle from Croydon to Sutton. I, I, and, and the facilities aren't there at the moment. Putting pressure on their local authorities to do that. At the moment, local authorities out in outer London don't have that weight of people saying, we need these facilities. And that's some of the changes that Boris is really contributing to, especially with the cycle hire scheme, because more and more people are realising have never been, haven't since they were a kid got on a bike and now getting on a bike for the uh, cycle hire And the boroughs, in the outer boroughs, the politicians and the planners out there, they're not enlightened enough to realise that this is a good thing to do without being no. marched up by no. a lobby to do no. it? No, the way, demo- disappointing, no it? the way democracies work is, is they respond to the needs of their electors. We, we've got to get away from this idea that we politicians go around telling people what to do. I mean, I get a bit annoyed with politicians who go around saying, you should be doing this because it's good for you and it saves the planet. Allow people to realise that them, themselves and allow people to, uh, and, then, and then enable people to be able to change that for out of London. But I think I'm it's not, a bit more of a I'm latent not, desire that people yeah. don't know they've even got. You know, if you take someone from Sutton yeah. out to Holland yeah. and they look at what they've got in Holland, yeah. they'll probably get on a bike, but... They're not going to think that that is even vaguely possible well, people, in Sutton, no, are they? Those people in Sutton are now coming in their jobs during the during the day, might be commuting into London and realising going from branch office to branch office, it's easier to do it doing it on a cycle on a Boris bike, and and they suddenly realise actually this isn't isn't that bad. I I, I could do with this going down with the, to the shops in Sutton. I could do with it whatever. I, I don't want to diss Sutton. You know, I don't want to diss any like, out London borough. But the fact of the matter is, is that there isn't that lobby. And when local councils come to deliver priorities, they are guided by their residents. And if their residents aren't speaking up on behalf of cycling, then it's not going to happen. We'll do, the bare minimum will be done. But if you've got a, some bolshy people out there saying, hold on, I want to be able to cycle to the shops rather than having to get in the car because that's the only safe way to get in, that's where it happens. As I say, politicians have got to stop going around telling people. We aren't philosophers, for goodness sake. We're, we're here to deliver what Londoners want us to deliver. And, and my, you know, as far as I'm concerned, cyclists have talked to me, want safer cycling in London, and that's why we're working on it. I guess there's a difference there between um, politicians who lead and politicians who follow, but that's for the, uh, no, the political no, no, scientists to no, no. Uh, discuss yeah, at greater poli- length. Politicians, politicians who lead purely on their own set of priorities aren't politicians at all, they're dictators. Back to Blackfriars. Yeah. It's underway, you've got meetings. How are you going to take this issue forward in the, uh, in the rest of the year until we're going to get a conclusion? What, what's your political strategy? Well, we've got to do this quickly. There's an imperative. There's no way we can put this on hold. It's got to be done soon. If there are any changes to be made, it's got to be decided. And this has got to be open by uh, October, November. So that's, that's why they've had to do works today. I mean, that, I know people were uh, concerned that all of a sudden they were starting works and the assembly had been ignored and all that stuff. I should assure people 
that, that it's not being ignored. Uh, they're not putting up 30 mile an hour signs in the first week. You know, this is whatever speed limit it's going to be. I mean, I think there's still time to discuss that. There's still time, I think, to make changes to the turns at either end of the bridge. And maybe even we may get some movement on the width of the cycle lanes. So I think, I think we have got a little bit of time. Um, and as I say, we're meeting next week. I don't want to see us come out of this and people feel as though they haven't been heard. Too often people feel like they've been ignored. You know, sometimes people aren't ignored. Sometimes they're just not agreed with. But in this, in this instance, people feel like they're being ignored. And that's really bad. That should not happen in, in, uh, in, in, in the uh, deliberations over how this bridge looks after November. That was Andrew Boff, the Conservative member of the London Assembly, who also serves as the Mayor of London, Boris Johnson's ambassador for championing cycling, uh, talking about Blackfriars and a whole lot more. Well, we're coming to the end of this week's show. I hope you've enjoyed an in-depth look at the Blackfriars issue. It goes far beyond the question of one bridge. And it's something that we'll be following over the next um, few months, both on the blog and on the, uh, on the radio show. You can also follow The Bike Show on Twitter. Um, that's at The Bike Show. Um, that will keep going even though the current season of the show on the radio is um, coming to an end. This is the last in season of 12 shows. I hope you've enjoyed the current season. It's been a long one, but a good one and a varied one. And we've had David Miller, uh, Chris Boardman, as well as trips um, out to the countryside, uh, camping, and the usual advocacy and campaigning issues around cycling in London. If you missed a show on the FM broadcast, you can download all past shows in the current season and indeed all shows that have ever been broadcast. There's more than 150, if you can believe it, going back to 2004. Many of them worth um, a listen even now. Many of them even worth a second listen. You can access all of that on the iTunes podcast directory by searching for The Bike Show or by going directly to The Bike Show's own website at www.thebikeshow.net So the show will be off air for the next little while. We'll be back on air on Monday the 26th of September for an autumn season. And if you ordered a bike show jersey, and quite a number of people did, those will be sent out a little bit later this month in August, around about the 20th of August, uh, so Ed at Miltag tells me. And if you'd like to wear your bike show jersey and go on a ride with other bike show listeners, um, I'm going to be organising some kind of um, uh, a bike show excursion, uh, probably starting at Resonance FM Studios, but heading out into the countryside. And that will be on the uh, weekend before the, uh, the show starts up again. So most likely the 24th of September, which is a Saturday. Anyway, more details of that on the Twitter at The Bike Show or on the Bike Show's webpage, www.thebikeshow.net. Um, speaking of the next season of the show, if you've got ideas for subjects that you'd like me to cover, 
things that we haven't covered so far or things that ought to be covered in a different way, please get in touch. The email is bikeshow at resonancefm.com. That's bikeshow at resonancefm.com. So that's if you've got an idea for covering something or indeed if you'd like to produce your own feature for broadcast on The Bike Show. It's getting easier and easier with everyday gadgets like iPhones and Android phones to record really quite good quality audio and even to edit it um, on your computer at home into something that's absolutely broadcast quality. So do get in touch either to recommend subjects for further investigation or to pitch an idea of your own that you'd like to produce. Very much open to new contributors on the show. Well, that's it. One Life Left are coming up next. That's it for the bike show. I'm going to enjoy my little break. I'm going to get out onto two wheels and make the most of what is left of the summer. I can almost feel the cold winds and rain of winter just around the corner. So I'm going to get the maximum I can of August and early September. I hope you do the same. Until next time, until the 26th of September, thanks for listening and goodbye.